0: we in coming a great Sunday because we are starting a new series titled True Happiness. Somebody say true happiness. In fact, turn to the person next to you and ask them what makes you happy. I think about that question and I ask myself what makes me happy. And, you know, to be honest, I think what makes me most happy is seeing other people happy. Right. I love that. The other day, my wife and I got our son this new kitchen set. What well, wasn't new it was one of those hand-me-down sets. And, uh, you know, he's in the other room and we set it all up and we can't wait to tell him. I'm like, Judah, you know, he's three years old. I'm like, Judah, we got you something. It's going to be so cool. And he's like, he's ready. And so he's at the, he's in one room and we're counting down and I got the camera and we count down. And we're like, three, two, run. And he runs into the room and he sees this uh, hand-me-down. He didn't know it's a hand-me-down. and Don't tell him it's a hand-me-down. Uh, but this hand-me-down kitchen set, and my wife said for the next 10 minutes or so, he just kept saying, I'm so happy. I'm so happy. I don't know what makes you happy. Maybe it's you're at a wedding reception and you're in the middle of that circle at the reception. You know what I'm talking about? The dance circle. I I know my introverts in this room just, your anxiety is out the roof now. I don't know why on the name of all names that God would establish a dance circle at a wedding reception. Can't stand it. But but maybe that makes you happy. Maybe that makes you happy that you're in the middle of the dance circle. I don't know what what it is for you. But the truth is it's something we're all searching for, right? It's something that we're desperately trying to obtain. It's something that we're desperately trying to have. We want it. We need it. And quite frankly, does God want us to be happy? And so what if I told you we found um, the secret of happiness? What if I told you we've always had it? What if I told you it was right in here? and the word of God. And it wasn't through receiving anything, it wasn't through experiencing anything, but it was actually through obedience. Somebody say obedience. Does God want us to be happy? Maybe you've heard this before. You know, happiness stems from what's happening, but joy stems from who? Jesus. And so I can be happy if X, Y, Z is happening, but if X, Y, Z is not happening, can I be happy? Maybe not all the time, certainly I want to be happy, but I can not always, but I can find joy because James James even tells us in chapter one and verse two, consider it pure joy. Somebody say joy. When you face trials of many kinds, knowing that those trials help you and allow you to develop perseverance. You know, write this down if you're taking notes. Joy is not a season, but it's a way of living. Joy is not a season, but it's a way of living. Happiness can be momentary. Depending on what's happening, I can be happy but joy is something that I can experience all of the time because happiness can even come through sin, right? Happiness can even come through things that are wrong. So to answer the question, does Jesus want us to be happy? I do believe God wants us to be happy, but not at any cost. But I know that he wants us to be joyful in all situations, in all circumstances. Joy is not something that we do once. It's not something that we experience one time. It's not something that we um, apply to certain situations. It's a way of living. And so although I may not always feel it, I certainly know it, and I can hold on to it that one day, somebody say one day, one day day at the end, I will spend eternity with my king, the name above all names. And so uh, we're going to go to Deuteronomy chapter five, if you have your Bibles, Deuteronomy chapter five, and I want to discover together how to obtain the secret of true happiness. And uh, before we even talk about that, what I think we need to do is maybe clean house a little bit. I think in order to receive some things, we have to release some things, right? Before God can um, give you something, he has to, uh, you have to get rid of something. And so we're gonna look at some ideologies that we may have, some philosophies that we may have, even some people that God is telling you, and here's the title of this morning's message, they have got to go. So do me a favor, help me out with this, T- turn to the person next to you and tell them, you're okay, but they have got to go. Let's pray one more time. Father, we thank you. We love you. And Lord, I I pray that over these next uh, five weeks, as we talk about this secret to happiness, that you would reveal to us, Lord, how in obedience we can actually obtain. It's not through experiencing things. It's not through receiving things, but it's actually through obedience to you and your word. And so, uh, Lord, I pray if there are people in here, maybe for the first time hearing this message, that you would open up their hearts Open up their minds to maybe hear something new for the very first time. And I pray for those who have been in church for 500 plus years and they know this, I pray that you would give them a new revelation of how scripture is still applicable today. It's still relevant today. And so we thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we all said, one more time, Amen, amen. amen. I don't know if anybody is a, as a fan of me as top tens. I love top tens. It's clickbait for me. When I see it on the internet and it's top 10, this. I'm like, I gotta know because I gotta know what the top ten is. And of course, I love sports and Sports Center. They have the top ten on Sports Center every morning at 7:55 a.m. And on Fridays, it's the not top ten, which I think I prefer that a little bit more. But I was searching on the internet some uh, top tens, and I couldn't help but click one that said the top ten most um, challenging or dangerous sports. And I was like, oh, duh, you know, maybe football. I was up there. Rugby was up there. Number one, bull riding. Number three, cheerleading. <laughs> I thought that was uh, not humorous because I, I remember witnessing in high school some girl who was doing back hamstrings. And uh, um, you don't have to listen if you don't want to. But she did so many, forgot to stop and didn't just hit the wall, but hit the countertop that the trash cans go into and hit both of her ankles. And the, I know this is horrible to hear and had to go to the hospital. So I know that cheerleading can be dangerous. And then I saw one that was the, the top 10 funniest and useless things on Amazon. I got any Amazon shoppers in the room? I mean, I see things on that and I'm like, who would buy that Two, who would make that? I'm just thinking like somebody out here is purchasing these things. At least somebody knows they will and so they, so, so, so they make it. I saw a bacon strip bandage. And I was searching to see if it was one of those scratch and sniff bandages, because I would have <laughs> bought those. I saw a, uh, excuse my, my language, but I saw a cat, but tissue dispenser, a cat butt. T- somebody in this room watching it online has purchased and has in their household a cat butt <laughs> tissue. Um, and then a follow- that was number four, actually. Number ten was, um, believe it or not, it was a dill pickle lip balm. Now, Cheryl, if you ever put that dill pickle lip balm on your lips, um, yeah. <laughs> Uh, the dog will kiss you, I can guarantee you, but I might, I might not, I'm not a fan of pickles, I'm not, I'm not a fan of dill pickles, that's for sure. Man, I, I, I took a bite in one of those Lay's, you remember the dill pickle Lay's chips? That was the most disgusting thing I've ever had in my life. If you're into that, that's cool, but you know, God has a top 10 and um, God's top 10 looks a little bit different and we find it in Exodus and we also find it in Deuteronomy. God's top 10 is the laws that he gives to his people Uh, uh, the Israelites right after the exodus in Egypt. It's the laws that he uh, writes on a a stone tablet, two stone tablets that he gives to Moses on Mount Sinai. It was what would begin to shape the way that the Israelites lived, it would begin to shape the way that even we live today. It would set the foundation of our rights. What was it? The Ten Commandments. It was the law, and, 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 and hear me out, it was the law, the set of rules, that not would allow us into the kingdom of heaven if we, if we obeyed them, but it would ultimately allow us and, and help us understand that we can't obey them and that we are in need of the mercy and grace of God. Amen. Can I say it again? These set of laws, these rules, are not for us to perfectly obey, but they are for us to understand that we cannot perfectly obey them, and every single day we are in need of the mercy of God and the grace of God. And everybody said amen to that. That's what these Ten Commandments are for because, you know, remember Jesus said to the rich young ruler in Matthew chapter 19, he said, you know, I've obeyed all your commands. And Jesus said, but that's not it. There's still some things that you have to let go of. There are still some things that need to be released from you. There's a mindset that needs to shift because if following the rules gained us entrance into the kingdom of heaven, I have bad news. We would not be there. I wouldn't be seeing you and you wouldn't be seeing me. In fact, we'd probably see each other someplace else. So there are uh, there are three things I want to tell you today. Uh, what these ten commandments are before I break down the first two. So for the next five weeks we're going to break these ten commandments down, and today I'm going to break down the first two. But what I want to do is kind of give us an overview of what these ten commandments are. So for taking notes, I want to give you three things. Ten commandments. Number one, they are positive. These are not negative things. The Ten Commandments aren't a negative thing. These aren't God establishing rules to make you miserable, but they're actually here to give you life, right? You you go back to the garden scene with Adam and Eve. God said, I give you everything, every tree, every fruit you can have except what? One. I don't know what it is about that except one, but it gets us riled up. You mean I can have everything except one? Well, what's the one? What is it? I got to see. And we abandon everything that we're given, all life, all goodness, all greatness, because we want to see what the one thing is that we are missing out on. And that's how the enemy traps you. That's how the enemy, that's how the serpent trapped um, um, Adam and Eve. How, how would a God be so strict with you? Why would he be holding back pleasures and happiness? Why would he hold, why would God do that to you? And the enemy does that today. It says, um, you know, those are, those are all great But there's some other things that are really good. And God doesn't want you experiencing them because he doesn't want you to be as wise as him. He doesn't want you to feel like he feels. He doesn't want you to be happy. Ever heard that before? I can't be a Christian because I just can't be happy because there's too many rules. There's too many regulations. There's too many things that God is commanding us. But really, God is saying, I've given you everything, all of it, except except one. The commandments that God gives us are passion. In fact, Paul says in Romans 7 verse 21, he says, although I want to do good, how many of us believers in the room, we want to do good? I, I, I don't wake up looking to sin. I don't wake up looking to destroy somebody. I don't wake up looking to get angry at people on the street. Some people do. I don't. And I think many of us, we don't just wake up wanting to be you know angry at God. We don't wake up looking to make mistakes. Paul says that I want to do good, but... Evil is all around me. Everywhere you go, as soon as you step out and start doing things for God, evil is there. As soon as God says, I've given you everything, the enemy says, but there's one thing that you don't have that you need. As soon as good is done, evil is following right behind it. The commands of God, church, are to help you, not to hurt you. Amen. They're here to help you, not to hurt you. So they are positive. They are also passionate. Somebody say passionate. God hates sin. Sin is what hurts us. Sin is what separates us from God. And he wants us to obey him. And I would go as far as to say this, that the 10 commandments are one of the most, um, uh, one of the most strongest expressions of God's love for his people in the Bible. The 10 commandments are one of the most strongest expressions of God's love in the Bible. I'm going to go to Deuteronomy chapter five, verse six. This is going to be out of the ESV translation. And we're going to go back to verse one, but I want to hit verse six. Um, Moses is repeating what God is saying. And he says, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. In other words, Moses, tell the people what I did for them. Tell them how I saved them. Tell them how I've loved them. Tell them how I spared their life. Just just, just, just tell them before you throw out all the commands. Tell, tell them first. This is, this is what my wife and I were doing the other day when my son was outside and putting sunscreen on him. Now, my son is three years old, and he does not like putting sunscreen on it. And I get it. Man, some parents, including us, we just cake that stuff all over their bodies. He'd be looking like Casper the ghost going into that pool. And, and he doesn't want it. But, you know, you got to go to them, and you got to say, no, listen. Um, you know, and, and I, I'd remind him of things that we've done. If you're trying to get your kids to do something, remind them of how you help them, how this actually protects you, how this helps you, how we're going to do amazing things. We're going to jump in. We're going to do that. And then ultimately he would say, okay. And then we just cake all the all the sunscreen on his face. But this is what God is saying. You know, Israelites, remember what I did for you. Remember how I spared you. Remember how I took you out of bondage, took you out of slavery. Remember how I saved you. You were going to die. And I parted the Red Sea. Man, what would that have been like to be there? And so God is telling Moses, remind them. Somebody say, remind them. Remind them what I did. Remind them how I've loved them. Remind them how I've spared them. Remind them how I am so passionate for them. And so for, for many of us, we go back to those moments where God saved you. You know, some of the most passionate people and obedient people that I know for the, for the word and for God are people who have been saved from much. Right? You know those people. There's, there's radical change in their life, and they love God more than anything. They were saved from much, and now they love much and they obey much because they know that the word and the commands of God are not here to hurt you, but here to help you. God loves you, amen? So they are passionate, and lastly, they are protective. They are protective. They're essentially the the boundaries created by God to protect us. I mean, we have boundaries everywhere we go. As soon as we walk out of this place, there are boundaries, the sports that we watch, right? There are boundaries to protect the athletes the racing that we watch, I don't know if anybody watches NASCAR in the room, but there's usually one strange NASCAR fan. Uh, it's a joke uh, that there are boundaries to protect the drivers and the people. You know, even when we drive, maybe we don't watch NASCAR, maybe we don't watch sports, but we certainly have cars and vehicles and we drive on the road. There are boundaries, right? We can't just just do whatever we want. Sure we can, but we're gonna get a fat ticket, right? I mean, sure we can disobey the law. Sure we can avoid the the street signs and the stop signs. I mean, the stop sign to me means roll through, right? That's what what that means. I mean, you know, green light means go, that's obvious. Not for some people in South Florida. Green means go. I'm speaking to myself now. I'm not just speaking to those people. But if you're behind me and um, it's green and I don't go, odds are I'm in deep prayer or I'm on my phone. But just please don't honk. You know, give me a double tap honk. Don't give me the one honk. You know what I'm talking about? Like the hold it down because then I'm going to get aggressive and might lose fellowship with the Lord. Just give me a double tap, right? I mean, come on. Praise God for the double tap people. That's what we need. Just give me a honk, honk. Don't give me a... You give me that one time, I'm going to look back. And I might just not put my truck in park. Green means go. Red means... Um, check for camera lights, uh, and then run. And of course, yellow means speed up. We know that. That's obviously a joke. For those of you who, have, who live here in Sunrise and you get that uh, red light uh, ticket, I have received one of those. And so, you know, we have, we have boundaries, and um, boundaries are good for us. Tell the person next to you they're good for you. They're good for you. You know, loving parents give boundaries to their kids because they love them. A loving God gives boundaries to, to his children because he loves them. He wants to protect them. I'm reminded of the famous passage, Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Right? Plans to prosper you and not to harm you, but to give you a hope and a future. Come on, can we just thank God for that scripture? Amen. Amen. That is so good. That's what every, every senior graduate uses when they graduate. I have no idea, but this verse promises me that I'm going to have success. And yes, you can have success, but there are boundaries, right? Because ultimately what we're saying to our kids is these boundaries are here to help you, keep you safe, but also bring you success. Follow them. That's ultimately what God is saying to his children is these boundaries that I have, these, these rules that you are to follow, they're here to help you. They are here to keep you safe, and they are here so you can find success. Amen. So they are passionate, they are positive, and they are protective. You know, the first four commandments have to do with our relationship with God, and the last six commandments have to do with our relationship with each other. You know, a right relationship with God results in a right relationship with people. How many know that to be true? If we want to fix our, our, our horizontal relationships, then we have to fix our vertical relationship. If we're going to try and get this right, because to be honest, so many of us, man, we got some strange relationships. We've got bitterness. We've got aggression. We've got unforgiveness, unrepentance. If we're going to fix that at all, then we have to fix this. Because how many know that once my relationship with God gets right, all of a sudden I want to start forgiving people? All of a sudden, I want to start finding restoration. It's strange. I would have never looked for that if I didn't know this. But now that I know this, all of a sudden, I want to seek repentance. I want to seek forgiveness. I want to restore relationships. I don't want anybody angry at me. My wife knows this. If anybody's angry at me, I'm going to your house, knocking on your door and saying, give me an explanation. And how can I repent and (laughs) seek forgiveness? Because I don't like this. Now, I know there are some people that, you know, they have reasons and justifications. And that takes time. And I get that. But ultimately, our goal is to love people. That even means love your enemies. And so if I'm going to have a right relationship with people, I've got to have a right relationship with God. And so if I'm going to get the last six commandments right, you better believe I've got to get the first four right. And so let's, uh, let's break this down. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. I'm going to be reading out of the ESV translation. It says, Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes, the rules that I speak in your hearing today, and you shall learn them and be careful to do with them. All right, guys, you know, come together. God is speaking. And when he is speaking, you better be listening. And if you're listening, you better be obeying. He goes on to say in verse 2 that the Lord our God made a covenant with us. Tell yourself, with me. He made a covenant with us in Horeb, not with our fathers did the Lord make this covenant, but with us who are all here alive today. In other words, yes, God made this covenant with the fathers, but they are gone. In other words, the, the commandment that God is making isn't for those who um, were, are dead. God is making a commandment for those who are alive, which means this commandment, these commandments are relevant for us today. The Lord spoke with you face to face at the mountain Out of the midst of the fire. Now, we know that God, nobody has seen his face. He even tells Moses, if man were to see my face, they would not live. Uh, That ultimately is translating as um, a free communication, an intimate relationship, an intimate conversation. In verse 5, he says, While I stood between the Lord and you at that time to declare to you the word of the Lord. Remember, Moses is the mediator. For you were afraid. Somebody say afraid. These people were in fear. You know, what's interesting is, When you are in obedience, the voice of God is a voice that's encouraging. But when you are in disobedience, the voice of God is a voice that is correcting, that is disciplining, that is maybe we would view it as discouraging, but God would view it as correcting. And so these people were afraid because they were in disobedience. They just witnessed all the miracles that God has done. Now they're complaining, now they're angry. And, and, and now they're in fear, and they don't, want to, they don't want to speak to God. So Moses goes on their behalf, and it says, For you were afraid because of the fire you did not go up to the mountain. Verse 6 says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Again, he's reminding them, I am passionate for you. I love you. So now we get to the first two commandments. Let's go to it in verse 7. First one, you must not have know any other gods before me. God says, look what I've done and who could compare? Who could possibly compare? Who could even come remotely close to the things that I have done, to the things that I have shown you? Who, who could even do that? Certainly nobody, but, but people tried to put somebody there people tried to put somebody in the place of God who would act as God, but unfortunately would not act as God. Reminds me of when, when Elijah was, uh, you know, with the prophets of Baal and, uh, they were, they had the altar on Mount Carmel and they were crying out to what they thought was God to say, would you come down and help us? And meanwhile, God was showing them that nobody else can do what I do. Therefore there should be no other God like me, no other God, but me. And People are still putting things and people and ideologies in the place of where they want God to be and how they want God to act. You know, it was said a story was told that there was a museum in China that had an exhibit called the American God. And at first I was like, that's interesting that people think that God is American. And then I read on it and I, it wasn't that because God is the God of all. And it goes on to say um, in this exhibit of the American God, what do you suppose was there? A dollar bill, man, I, I, I have seen, I know many have seen, maybe you've even experienced the destruction that this pursuit of money has, this, this destruction that, um, our desire to want our, our, our desire to crave our desire to just say, I, I just, I just need more. I just, I just want more. In fact, tell somebody next to you, I just need more. That's all I need. That's all I need. And everything's going to change. If I, if I just had some more in First Timothy verse uh, 9 in chapter 6 tells us that those who want, somebody say want, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It says, some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. You know, what Timothy is saying is that wealth isn't the issue. It's the desire for wealth. Right, there's a couple of key words in here we read. It's those who want to get rich, fall into temptation and a trap. Those who um, are desiring this, it's this love of money. And some people who are eager to for money, have wandered from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. Our desire to obtain more in hopes to receive more freedom actually brings more bondage. It doesn't give us freedom. I mean, I I think in our society today, all around the world, it's just like, if I could just have some more, if I could just have a few more dollars. Then I could find what I need if I just had a, a, you know a few more investments. Then I could obtain what I so desire. God, I would just be, I would you know, I would be safe and good to honor you more and give you more if I if I just had a little bit more. And Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter six, verse twenty-four, He says, "Nobody can serve two masters." Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Oh, oh, oh okay. So I put God first, and, and then I put money. Let, let's be clear that's not the case here. You know, what, what, what Timothy and what Jesus is saying is, and even this commandment is saying is that, you know, once you have God and, you know, at the top, then everything else can kind of line up. Imagine if I told my wife, you know, I said, Cheryl, you are at the, the top of my list, but then there's her and her and, you know, so-and-so and, you know, so-and-so and that, that other, you know, that person that deems me, but, but you are at the top. Imagine if I said that while we were dating, you were at the top. I got plenty of options, but you are at the top of my, I wouldn't have a list. I'd be gone. If now we were married, I'd be dead. There would be no list. So this isn't kind of structuring, you know, your priorities and your God saying, God, you come first. But then everything, you know, th- th- then money is the next thing that I idolize and the next thing that I worship. And, and then, you know, my success is the next thing. And God is saying, I've got to be the only thing. You know, when, when it, says, it says, you know, there should be no other gods. Other than me, what that is ultimately saying is that there should be no gods in the presence of me, besides me, I should be the only God. Sometimes we have a, a screwed theology that thinks that, well, God isn't the only thing. There are more things, there are other things, but how many of that God is the only way through the Father, the only way to him? And so when we, when we step into a relationship with God, when we believe when we ask him to come into our heart, we ultimately are saying from now on, I worship one God who is the author, the perfecter of my faith. He, he, he has a purpose for me, he has a plan for me, he has spared me, he has saved me, and now I get to have access to him and his kingdom. There is no other gods besides him. You shall have no other gods. Okay, so maybe money The desire for money is something that we shouldn't pursue, but but what about good things? You know, I I want us to understand that, you know, I don't have lowercase gods in my life. But perhaps you do, you just don't know. Because, yeah, the bad things are maybe clear, you know, sin or idolatry or adultery. You know, those are are clear, but what about some of the good things? You know, John, who's on the island of Patmos, is is, uh, receiving visions that God has given him. This is what makes up the book of Revelation. And he has encounters and conversations with these angels. And at the very end, in chapter 22, um, this angel who is, who is uh, you know, talking to him, he's just overwhelmed. And his only response is to fall down on his knees and worship the angel. And the angel responds in verse 9, don't do that. I mean, come on. It, I mean, if I was John and if we were here today and saw an angel, I would do the same thing, right? The angel from heaven, um, this godlike figure, I would fall on my, what would I do? Would I, just be, would I be like, yo, what's, what's good? What's going on? I, I would fall to my knees and I would worship. And the angel says, Don't do that. I am a fellow servant with you and with your fellow prophets and with all who keep the words of the scroll. He says, Worship God. Come on, somebody say, Worship God. You know, we have to be very clear, church, not to um, idolize and make gods out of our churches, out of our pastors out of um, even, our, even our ministry, even our calling. I've got to be careful not to make the thing that God called me to do the God that I serve. Because if I'm, if I'm led by what I'm called to, well, i got to be honest, sometimes I have no idea what I'm called to. I'm just figuring it out. So that's going to become the God that leads me, that dictates me, my ministry, that, that God has given me and placed in me is going to be the God that I serve and follow. Then church, we're going to be failed. We're going to make so many mistakes. We're going to go down so many paths that just don't make sense. God is saying, I am the only thing, good or bad, I am the only thing that you are supposed to worship. Then why didn't, why didn't God just force us to worship? You know, if if we have a hard time of giving excessive devotion to other things, which would be called idols, which would take our focus off of God, then And, you know, if God is a jealous God, why wouldn't he just force us to worship him? Why didn't he just force Adam and Eve just to eat from every other tree? Why did he even put that other tree there? Well, if we were forced, then we could not love. Why would God just force us to worship because if God is wanting us to worship him, God doesn't want the worship of his people to be done out of obligation. He wants the worship of his people to be done out of love, worship out of love, not obligation, church. You know, we do it all the time when, when, when the singer says, raise your hands. When the singer says up here, sing, sing, some of you sing great and some of you sing a little below great. You know, when, when, when the, when the worship, says, worship leader says, give him a shout of praise, and I say that all the time. I'm, when I'm on the opposite side of that, you know, I'm like, woo. what do you do? Give him a shout of praise. Yeah, you know? <laughs> like, sometimes it's done out of obligation. Well, they're telling me to. You know, they're telling me to be seated. They're telling me to kneel. They're te- you know, sometimes our worship is done out of obligation, but that is certainly not how it should be done. We do it because we love. Listen, when I love... I now do things differently, and I do them because I want to do them. I, listen, I love my wife. You don't got to tell me how to love my wife because I love my wife. I can show you. I won't show you, but I can show you how I love my wife because I love her. You don't got to tell me how to love her. That's the thing that God is saying. You, you, you shouldn't be told how to worship. You shouldn't. This shouldn't be an obligation. I got to show up. I lift my hands. It's the first song, I gotta clap. I hate clapping. I got to sit. I got to pray. I mean, man, I, I don't say anything um, when it comes to God and when it comes to worship. I don't say this. Um, this isn't something I have to do, but this is something that I get to do. I get to love my wife. I get to be her husband. I get to honor God. I get to go to church. I get to love people. I get to hold off on the horn when somebody cuts me off. I get to show grace to those people who drive like that. I get to do that because they need it. I get to, I don't have to, if I had to, if I had to do it, I wouldn't want to do it. I would say no and I would rebel, but it's not something that I have to. It's something that I get to. I get to, come on, say it out loud. I get to, worship shouldn't be done out of obligation. It should be done out of love. Some of us are waiting on the instructions of God to worship him. Some of us are waiting on the instructions of God to serve him. Meanwhile, God is waiting on you. He is waiting on you. When you love, it just happens. So there are some things in your life that has taken the place of God. They become idols and they have got to go. Let me hit the second one. This is Deuteronomy uh, chapter five, verse eight. Verse eight. It goes in to say, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down, somebody say bow down, to them or serve them, for I the Lord your God am a jealous So no other gods before me, no carved images, nothing even in the likeness of what we would portray as a god or an idol. None of that, certainly don't worship them. God is against idolatry. But Israel really struggled with this. Even though Israel saw these things, it just, sometimes it baffles me that Israel, you go back in the Old Testament and read the things that they witnessed. Manna from above. I mean, come on. That would be crazy. Seeing the Red Sea parts. How could you not have faith? Yet they still, they still struggled. They, they had a hard time with believing. They had a hard time with, with not wanting to, to put a face or something to the God that they serve. Because sometimes for us, it's hard. We, we want to see. I, I want to see God. Show me God. I just, I just want to get a glimpse of you and then maybe I'll believe. Well, it didn't work out for the Israelites. They saw everything. They saw all the miracles. Even the New Testament, the people saw Jesus heal things heal people, and still some doubted. Why would you doubt if you could see those things? But how many of you know that faith is not done by seeing? Faith is lived out by hearing. Amen? If I all of a sudden got to see things, would that really change my faith? Maybe it might boost my faith in that moment. But guess what? I'm going to want to see something else. And I'm just going to want more, and I'm going to want more. And so sometimes I think God is sparing us by not allowing us to always see because he wants us to hear he wants us to hear Israelites saw they struggled to believe they struggle to hear even John tells Thomas in, in John 20 verse 29 he says because you have seen me you have believed but blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed that's it believing in a God that we can't see That's just so anti-science, anti-culture, anti-everything that our world would say. It just doesn't make sense. How would you believe in something that you cannot see? And if you base your worship If you base your praise, if you base your thanksgiving off of only by what you see, then your worship, your praise, and your thanksgiving will only be done when you see. But do I have any believers in this room that are thankful that I don't see all the time, but I hear all the time the goodness of God. And because I hear, I can believe, I can praise, and I can give thanksgiving. Thank you, God, that I hear. I don't always need to see. In fact, I may never see. And that's okay. Because... I have the word that is hidden in my heart. People needed to see, though. They created idols. They created pagan deities in forms of gold. They set them up on high places, altars of worship. Even in the New Testament, they would refer to Caesar as Lord Caesar. This was, this was radical to think that Jesus would come and say, I am Lord, and don't worship anybody else. Unfortunately, for many of us, just like Israel, it's a sad chronicle of worship idols punishment restoration and forgiveness and then right back to idolatry you could write this down idol worship will deceive us and it'll destroy us it'll deceive us and destroy us again there are modern idols that you may have in your life that you don't even know That you are putting in the place of God, you are worshiping, and God is saying, it is going to destroy you. In fact, David writes in Psalms 135, it says, the idols of the nation are silver and gold, made by human hands. They have mouths, but cannot speak. They have eyes, but cannot see. They have ears, but cannot hear. Nor is their breath in their mouths. He's talking about things that are nothing, that are dead. And he says, those who make them will be just like them. And so will all who trust in them. No wonder why I can't do anything. No wonder why I can't experience anything. No wonder why I live in so much fear. No wonder why I live in so much doubt. No wonder why I'm always anxious. No wonder why I'm always scared. No wonder why I'm always fidgeting or biting my fingernails. Because I have placed something on the throne in my heart that is not God. And perhaps today, church, it's time to have a heart check. It's time to ask yourself, who is on the throne in my heart? Because for those that say, man, I just need more. I just need more. Greed is at the throne of your heart. If I just need to feel more, I just need to feel more and experience more, then pleasure is on the throne in your heart. I just need to do more. Just open up some more doors. Just give me some more hours. Give me some more time of the day than work is at the throne of your heart. And Jesus says there needs to be nothing other than God at the throne of your heart. Perhaps today you need to have a heart check. They say, God, who, who have I been putting um, on the throne in my heart? Because who I've been putting has been dictating how I've been living. And I live in such a way because of who I worship and who I go to and who I rely on to give me truth and who I go to to give me um, success, direction. Who do you go to who's on your throne? I wonder if our lives would change, how we live would change, how we talk would change if we decided to say, God, you are at the throne in my heart. Amen. So here's a question I want to close. How do we avoid all this? You know, how, how do we, how do we uh, prevent ourselves from modern, idol worship? How do we live a life that says, God is at the throne of my life always and nothing else? I want to give you one thing. Of course, I could give you 10 things and maybe you can go online and find 20 things, but I just want to give you one thing. And that is to fall in love with the word of God and allow it to transform you. Fall in love with the word of God, allow it to transform you. You know, in 2 Kings, there's a story of a king named Josiah. Josiah is eight years old and he becomes king. Eight years old. Anybody have any kids that are eight years old? Could you imagine them being uh, the dictator in the household, telling you what to do, how much taxes you should pay? (laughs) Eight years old, King Josiah. And, you know, King Josiah hasn't been doing everything perfect, and he realizes this one day when um, his secretary finds the book of the law and begins to read the book of the law out loud. And King Josiah is blown away, and he tears his robes. And he calls all the elders into the place. All the officials into the room, similar to what Moses is doing when he gathers all the Israelites. you got to hear what God is saying. And so King Josiah, he grabs everybody he can and brings them into the room. And he has the secretary read those words again. And immediately he makes a decree that we will worship God and God only. And that we are going to follow and obey the word. This is what King Josiah um, not at eight years old, but in his reign, because he reigned 31 years, says that we are going to follow this. And then something happens. You know when people change, there's like an action item. When you go to some conference, there's like an immediate next step. That's what everybody is wanting for you. Now that I've shared this with you, now that I've encouraged you, now that you've heard a motivational speaker, what do you do now? Because I think so many people, we don't do anything with it. We walk out of church on Sundays, and we think, that was cool. Music was a little bit loud. Nobody said hi to me. They're still not serving any like pastries or donuts. I don't know what's going on here at VLC. And that's, that's our attitude. We walk out. We think, you know, God check. Now let's go do me Monday through Saturday. And then I'll come back and we'll check it off again. But when God is speaking, when God is saying something, there has to be some type of action. Right? There's got to be some type of transformation. It's got to be clear. It's got to be evident. I'm not saying it's going to happen all at once, but something has to change. When people accept Jesus into their heart, some people it's radical. Everything changes. The way they speak, the way they act, the way they handle relationships, all of that changes. But for some, it's like nothing changes. And I'm like, did you did you even did you, do you really believe? Now I can't question them. That's not my job. I'm sure they're not going to judge them, but I wonder. Man, for people who have experienced the word of God, when you know it, it begins to shape you, it begins to change you, and it begins to convict you, and it compels you to change, church. And so what's the first thing that King Josiah does? The first thing he does, he goes into all of the places of worship, and he removes every single idol, every single pagan image, every single high place. He removes them all, and he burns them. And he says, from this day on, we're going to worship God and God only. Nobody else. Nothing else. You know, I wonder what that is for you. I wonder what you've been holding back on. I wonder what the, God, the word of God is convicting you with, but you're not allowing it to change you. You're just saying, God, one day, one day I'll allow it to change. One day I'll allow it to, to, to correct me. One day, but, but, but not now. And the truth is, you don't know the end of your days. And you don't know when... Um, that now will come. And, and I would hate to find ourselves one day down the road, you know, trying to do the right thing, trying to, you know, ask God, you know, would you show me, would you shape me? And, uh, and it's too late. It's too late. There are things that needed to go in our lives that we said, one day I'll get to, and it's too late. But when we say, God, you know what? The word, the word of God, I will read it. I will allow it to shape me, change me. And it will convince me that there are some idols. There are some gods in my life that have got to go. Now, if you don't want to be changed, you don't want to be convicted, then don't pick this thing up. In fact, go ahead and go home, put it under your bed, put it in a box, let it get dusty. And just when you move, forget about it. If that's what you want to do, that's what you want to do. But if you want to be changed... If you want to experience the fullness of life, the perfect plan that God has for you, the blessings, the, 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 the safety net that God is providing for you, then pick this thing up. Allow it to ch- shape you. Allow it to change you, because it will. I promise you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God. And we, we know that, Lord, the secret of happiness Is found right here in your word. And of course, we know we're not always going to be happy. Sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes it's really challenging. And and I know that when we step out and we say, you know what? I'm going to believe. I'm going to trust. Amazing things start to happen. Maybe not even in the natural, but in the supernatural. Things begin to change. The atmosphere begins to shift goodness of God is evident the presence of the spirit is clear and and it's working and it's moving and so father today my my prayer is simple would you encourage us to fall in love with your word and allow it to transform us and as we do so the idols the images the gods the things that we've been putting in place of you will begin to fall And so Father, today I pray that many of us who have been convicted, many of us who know, we can name them. We know what we've been worshiping. We know what we've been serving. We know where we've been turning to. God, I pray today we would act like King Josiah to make a decree that today my house will serve the Lord and only the Lord. And I'm gonna go home and I'm gonna burn. Maybe literally or figuratively, I'm going to burn those things. I'm going to release those things. I'm going to get them out of here because, God, I don't need them. They're destroying me. They're ruining me. They're taking me down a path that I do not want to go to. So, Lord, would you intervene? Come on, all across this place, would you stand to your feet, church? Would you intervene? Would you ask Him, God, would you show me? Would you show me? So, Father, would you show us all across this place, God? Would you show us where we need to um change what we need to change where what areas in our lives we need to fix lord the 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 gods that we place the images that we place would you allow us to get rid of them and just for the moment if with your heads bowed and your eyes closed and maybe you're tuning in online and maybe you don't know who this Jesus is maybe you're feeling something that it says in scripture it's a tugging at the heart God is saying let me in let me in and if that's you you're saying Jacob I don't know if I've ever believed in God you know, you talked about baptism, what's baptism? You, you mentioned sin, what's sin? Well, sin is what separates us from him. Sin is what um, doesn't allow us into the kingdom of heaven. And God says, I sent my only son. We just celebrated this past week. I sent my only son to take on your sin, to take on your shame and forgive you of them all. He says that he forgives you of your mistakes and your sins and he casts them as far as the east as from the west and he remembers them no more. Now, God is not forgetful, but what God is saying is, I will no longer use that sin against you. And all he says, if you believe in your heart that God raised his son from the dead and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. And so if you're in this room under the sound of my voice, if you're online watching at home or wherever you're watching and you're saying, I've never made a confession of faith. I have never asked Jesus to come into my life. Would you repeat this prayer? And church, would you you repeat it with me as well? Say, Heavenly Father. Lord, come into my life, forgive me of my sins, make me a new person, change me from the inside out. Today, I will worship you and nothing else. Come on, and nothing else. Because today, I am your child and you are my God. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Can we put our hands together for those who made that decision? We want to invite you at a time for the next few moments to maybe ask the question, God, what would you have me do today before I walk out of these doors? We're going to leave this, this stage, this uh, altar for a place of prayer. If you want to make your way out of your seat and come pray and come kneel, you can. You can certainly do so at your chair. But we to leave these next few moments for us and you, and you, and, you alone in God to say, God, would you show me? Will you show me? Come on, let's sing this out.